This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, everybody. It's Chris. It's a new year, and we are in need of some new dinner emergencies to solve. So if you've had a cooking mishap, maybe even over the holidays, hint, hint, or just can't quite crack a recipe, please give us a call at 212-286-7071 or send us an email to dinnersos at bonappetit.com. We can't wait to solve your problem. Poor Jake, our beloved studio engineer and vegan, you know, has to hear me talk about meat somehow. It's like every episode, you know what I mean? And he's just in there like, freaking meat eaters, like honestly. Hey there, listeners, future callers, and cooking enthusiasts. Welcome to Dinner SOS, the show where we help you save dinner or whatever you're cooking. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Listen, I like the outdoors, and I even like being off the grid from time to time. But in my heart of hearts, I like my pastries flaky and my coffee single origin, so it's safe to say I'm a city kid. Today's caller, however, Toby, is not. I live in the Alaskan interior in a a tiny off-grid cabin. Wow. Like solar power, like battery backup, the whole thing? It's actually not even that well set up. Just a portable generator. Wow. Occasionally and a propane fridge, oven and stove. Goodness. Wow. What is it like to cook in your setup up there? Very small. (laughs) And luckily my partner and I uh, do it like a well-oiled machine. We take our tiny corners and we just cook up a storm all the time. We both love to cook. Cleanup is tricky. Gray water goes outside, so it takes a lot of pre-cleaning before dishes because we don't want to attract grizzlies to the house. Um, But we do have a wide selection of cookware and gadgetry and a stocked pantry with most spices known to man, as well as many Asian curry pastes and fresh herbs that are still hanging on to the last rays of sunlight before winter hits. Wow. Well, you've certainly piqued my curiosity. What made you want to call today? Well, my partner, Kyle, is a successful hunter and fisherman. We enjoy that the majority of our protein is sustainably sourced and Now we have 90 pounds of moose meat. Most of it is ground meat and I'm tired of burgers. I've had it with spaghetti sauce and chili and I'm not a huge fan of shepherd's pie. And so although I'm very grateful for all this protein, I'm not really sure what to do with it. I grew up in a household where we didn't really eat much red meat and I'm running out of ideas. Oh my goodness. 90 pounds of moose meat is a lot of moose meat. It sure is. (laughs) Are you able to have somebody process the meat for you? Because like even setting that up is like a huge amount of effort, although obviously, you know, you're getting the meat ostensibly mostly for free. Yeah, we usually do it ourselves at a friend's house. And then some of it will have processed into like Slim Jim's 
<laughs> yep. and sausage. We've tried to make some of our own sausage and it hasn't worked out that well. Is moose as lean a meat as I'm imagining it is, like more in the vein of like a venison? Yeah, it is so lean. You have to add fat to the ground meat. Yeah. And were you able to do that during the sausage making process? Yeah, with the sausage making, that was actually with caribou, which is also quite gamey and tough. And so I think maybe the toughness was part of the problem. But we added beef fat. We tried pork fat with some of them. They came out flavorful, but not sausage consistency. Maybe we just didn't get enough fat in there, but it also seemed like the pieces of caribou, even though we ground it numerous times, it just seemed like the pieces were still so tough. And that's often the case with moose too, is sometimes it's so tough. Yeah. You know, like the stew meat we have, it takes like two days in a crock pot to get it edible. So ground is really the way to go. Yep. Yep. Wow. I I remember Brad Leone, former colleague, you know, he, his dad used to make a killer venison kielbasa. And I think he was probably putting 30% pork fat in there by weight, which is a lot, right? I mean, if, if you're looking at 90 pounds of moose sausage, you would obviously need like a significant amount of pork fat in order to like make sausage with that kind of quantity. So when you said you grew up not eating a lot of red meat. What was on the table? We ate a lot of chicken and pasta and a little bit of fish. My mother was a bit of a health nut, so generally it was healthy and flavorless, which is why I have rebelled and become a delightful cook, I must say. (laughs) That's great. I love that for you. Are there any foods that you just love eating, like any flavors that you just crave? I love... Asian flavors, Mediterranean flavors, vinegars. I love spicy of just any kind of spice. Mm, Cool. Okay. So where we're at in my mind, and tell me if this sounds right, is we've got 90 pounds of moose meat burning a hole in your freezer. We got to figure out some really bold, compelling things to do with it. This is such a specific problem, but I love it. Because I think your willingness to embrace like flavors of all types, I think puts you in a really good place. And you clearly you're somebody who loves food and cares about food, you know, and you're very like have a spirit of adventure in all senses. And I just need to figure out who the right person is to chat with about this because I have one person in mind, but, you know, have to see what they're up to. They're probably out like hunting moose right now as we speak. When I said the person I was hoping to find for this episode was probably out hunting at that moment, I wasn't that far off. I I had a bull elk in my scope at 150 yards, and it was eight degrees and three feet of snow laying on my stomach for about 20 minutes, and I couldn't get a good true count on his antlers. And so I just had to let it walk away. But, you know, to to be honest with you, that's all part of it. Yeah. A lot of it is that pure torture of waking up at four in the morning, hiking 3,000 vertical feet, four miles, and (laughs) freezing. Eli Cairo is an avid hunter and also an incredible charcuterie maker. His company, Olympia Provisions, makes some of the best cured meats and sausages I've ever tasted. Seriously. When I try 
just regular salami, salumi, like all kinds of cured pork products versus yours. I mean, it is night and day. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear it. I love the meat. There's no doubt. That's why I do it. I feel so fortunate that I'm so connected to meat in all of my aspects and what it really takes. But that is the thing where I go home with my wife and I'd have friends over and I share it with all my family and they love the meat. It's like one of the best things I could cook and do all that. It's just so important. But then I get to tell the stories and like how hard it is and how crappy it is and why I do these things. And two weeks ago, we shot a bunch of mountain quail, which are these coastal berry quails. Mm. And my wife's a psalm and she makes wine and she has an amazing palate. And we smoked them in our backyard, open fire over cherry wood that we had in the backyard. You know what I mean, Kristen? It's so cheesy. I'm so over the top but we're like drinking homemade wine eating birds that we had just shot over cherry trees and like yeah we're idiots and this is a little bit over the top but this is as happy as i've ever been in my life i knew like i needed a specialist on this one because it is not my area of expertise i mean i think the range of service possible is so wide and i think honestly just to hear you talk about like what do you do with all of like the wild game that you hunt and you process yourself? Oh, for sure. When I usually am convincing ranchers or people that aren't daring and they eat a lot of it, I love introducing them to panade and the idea of uh bread and a a fat to it and what that does to the texture of a meatball or to a crepinette or the way to wrap those situations into Mm. it. Like a nut and a fruit and a meatball that is roasted and put on things is quite an unbelievable. If they have access to call fat, which sounds like these people might not, but that's something you usually can get in an area. That's kind of an interesting way. I can obviously teach them all of the ways that pâtés are a way to utilize lean meats yeah. and to add more flavor and to cover more meats. Um, if they're interested in making it into sausage, I know I could teach them the tricks that would give it a better texture and how to how to hide from it. That all sounds great. Well, listen, I, hey, I'm fe- I'm patting myself on the back because clearly I called job, the, I called Chris. the right person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this stuff. Thank goodness for Eli. After the break, Eli and Toby get into how the sausage is made. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty narrator here from the Who Sparted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Toby, welcome back. So I feel like last time we spoke, you had 90 pounds of moose ground 
in the freezer. Are you still at 90 right now or are we down like in the 80s? I do have quite a bit less moose now, probably probably in the 80s. <laughs> okay. And not all of it is ground, it turns out. Ah. That's fine too. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, all right. Good to know like there's still enough moose to work with. And to that end, I wanted to introduce you to Elias Caro. I, I don't want to like describe you for you. Why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell Toby who you are? Uh, hi, Toby. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Eli Cairo. I am a professional charcuterie maker and an avid hunter. A charcuterie maker, if you take all the fancy romanticism out of that name, that's just a value-added meat maker. But yeah, I was lucky enough to spend about five years in the Swiss Alps learning how to preserve and cook all sorts of wild game from ibex to elk to deer. And it's pretty much what I live for now is hunting and I cure meat professionally. That is really cool. Yeah. So Eli, I think, you know, you are somebody who kind of understands meat in like a very deep way. Did you have any kind of like initial thoughts just about moose meat in general, you know, that might be helpful for Toby to kind of hear? Is there anything that like, even just folks listening should, like, what do people need to know about wild game meat just in general? Yeah, you know, for me, the first thing that comes to mind when you're cooking wild meat is the leanness. And so right off the bat, the cards are stacked against you if you're wanting a really moist mouthfeel. And you have to kind of change your approach to cooking it completely if you're more used to cooking, you know, beef or pork, or even chicken to some extent. And then secondly, I always like to understand that not all wild game is created equally in their stages of life or how it's been handled. I'd say the most common thing people come to me is like, I'm really afraid of the flavor of gaminess. And to me, that can come from all sorts of different things, from mishandling the animal in the field and not being able to have a clean kill, adding extra hormones to it, and then all the way up into the rut of the animal. It was it mid-September when it's a bull elk and he's fired up and he has way more muskiness. Is it a young tender animal? Is it a 12-year-old bull? There's just so many nuances. And so, Toby, how, how does this moose taste for you? Is it pretty gamey? Is it really lean, I'm going to go ahead and assume? Is it chewy? Is it is it tough to get tender? Well, part of the problem is it's from three different moose oh, cool. from the same hunt. And so there was a large bull, a medium cow and probably a yearling mm -hmm. so it's all kind of mixed up we tried to keep track and label which moose what came from but when it came to the ground meat it's all just sort of put together so some of it is a little, is a little gamier mm -hmm. a little chewier and with the ground stuff it's hard to tell what we're getting yeah for sure and let me just ask one more question have you tried making sausage meat with the ground meat not with this set of animals but we had a caribou mm -hmm two years ago and we made several types of sausage with it and no matter how much fat we added the flavor was great but it was just so tough that it was not like eating a sausage at all mm -hmm. would the fat separate from the lean meat leaving you like a dry grainy texture in your mouth Yes. Yeah, that, that we can start with right there to just, if you're willing to try to make a sausage again, there's a few key tricks that I know that I can make that happen. And first, first off, it's temperature of meat that you're using. You got to get it really close to freezing. An ideal temperature is around 30 degrees of the lean meat, as well as what we said, 25 to 30% of the fat back 
or pork or belly that you are using into it. The reason is, is if it gets hot, if it gets too warm and it hits those blades, it'll actually not form a bind. So I would make sure my grinder blades are sharp. My meat is really, really close to frozen. And I would run that through two or three separate times. Okay. So you're you're regrinding that meat on the same blade or the same die multiple times? As long as you can keep the temperature down. Because what happens if you have a duller blade and you shrink down too fast, your temperature is going to raise up from friction and then your sausage is going to break. How is this striking you, Toby? Does this like sort of like make intuitive sense? It does. I'm excited to try it. And yeah. Do you have access to fat back or pork fat of like one sort or another? Yes. Okay. Okay. Because that feels like, you know, just something to underline for the audience is just like to understand that like, you know, while there are probably certain styles of sausage that do rely all exclusively on one meat, like particularly, you know, sausages made from pork, you know, if you're using a very lean meat, you typically would add pork fat, whether it was like moose, whether it was venison, etc. Exactly. So the magic number in fat content is around 25 to 30% fat. So if you did a really good job of taking all the fat and it's really lean in there, don't hesitate to weigh it and get up to the 25 and 30% fat. Okay, that sounds great. I'm curious, Eli, do you have recipes like on your website or elsewhere that you can direct Toby to, to kind of like walk through some of these steps? Oh boy, Toby, I'm so sending you my cookbook. Yay! It starts at the very basics of all curing meat and walks yourself all the way up into dry curing prosciuttos to fermenting salamis and making pâtés, so on and so forth. And I'm curious, Eli, like what, so, okay, let's presuppose that Toby sources, you know, beef and or pork fat, Mm -hmm. undertakes to make like one or two styles of sausage, gets the casings, does the whole thing, right? I mean, that's like a whole process unto itself. Mm -hmm. But okay, at that point, right, sausage is made. What advice do you have in terms of how you get the most out of this type of sausage that she's going to be able to achieve here? Like, how are you cooking it? How are you treating it? How are you Mm. storing it? And like, what are the takeaways here for just a better sausage cookery for people who aren't even hunting their own meat? Yeah, I would also say don't shy away from a breakfast patty. You know, first, I I do often say it gets a little bit overlooked that you need to make a sausage into a casing. And then that scares people because you have to buy a stuffer. You got to get the casings. You have to sew on and so forth. But if you could just get it to the point where a good old-fashioned breakfast patty with real sage and real maple sugar, you'd be surprised how much of that you could consume and be the rave of every breakfast table that you're at. Secondly... I prefer to slowly poach my sausages before I cook them. So if I'm going to freeze them and I don't have a way to cook them all, I portion them, keep them all frozen, defrost them in my refrigerator, and then I'll get my heating source, be it a fire, a grill, or a pan ready to go. But I'll bring my sausage up in a slow amount of water. What what happens there is you're making sure that the entire sausage cooks thoroughly through before you put it in the hot pan. The hot pan or the grill is just the texture on the outside of the sausage. You're just trying to crisp up your casing and making sure that it's crunchy and got the nice color on it. But what happens, the majority of people is they'll throw a raw sausage directly on a grill too hot and the outside of it will burst and crunch and the middle of it will be raw and it's just not the most enjoyable experience. So simmer it first, get your sausage to the right temperature and then all you're doing is browning the outside of it. 
one another of the greatest tricks that helps people, let's say you get your fat content right, you formed a good sausage bun, you're at that 30%, is one of the greatest tricks ever in all of charcuterie making is a tool that we call panade. Panade is often used in pâtés. It gives it its texture. It is usually breadcrumbs and a fat and a booze. See, this was like so fascinating to me because like, my kind of awareness of panade comes precisely from meatloaf type applications or meatballs where very often, you know, there's some amount of liquid, whether it's like broth, milk, you know, cream, something like that, but also with whole eggs. And like, that is just like fascinating to me. And also just the notion that like sausage making in general, just to back up, like doesn't have to be, you know, centered on the premise that like you are making linked sausage, you know, like making people see charcuterie and sausage making in particular as like you are seasoning and transforming ground meat at the end of the day. It's not very flashy, is it? It's not. It's not. (laughs) It sounds flashy to me. Yeah. I mean, well, at least I hope we're getting through to you, Toby, though, (laughs) that it sounds okay to you. I'm very excited about this. I would love to be a sausage maker and it doesn't matter if it's in a casing to me. Okay. Because I think like transforming your meat right at the end of the day in a way that still keeps it like adaptable. And Eli, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, it's almost like you could process as sausage some amount of this moose meat. But at that point, you don't necessarily have to just like form it into patties and sear it off, let alone put it in a casing and grill, whatever. You know, you could just kind of almost use that as like a starting point to make kind of a, a range of things, right? Just with that added fat, I think you would probably perform so much better. Exactly. You know, what, if you get that ground and you're able to get that bind, you know, then you could form it into an Italian sausage to crumble on pizza or to fold into, oh gosh, onto your pasta or put it in with your clams or so on and so forth. That you can make it spicy. You're just kind of making that base level and then the rest is yours. You know, the most, the most classic way to deal with lean meat is a, a very fancy word that we call crepinette. And a crepinette is when you take a sausage meat or even slightly lean meat and you wrap it in a call fat. Are you familiar with, Toby, what call fat is by chance? No. That is a very thin membrane that is laced with fat. It's much more delicious out of a hog than any of the other animals, but you can utilize it out of wild animals as whatever it is. And traditionally what they do is they would take leafy greens, you take a kale or a chard and you slow cook a tender, and then you mix that into your raw meat and then you wrap that beautiful call flat around it and then you griddle it or grill it until that outside fat starts rendering and moistening the fat as well. And so you kind of have a packet of moist outside, beautiful um, sausage patty in the middle there. I might be drooling. You Are have you me okay, a chard. <laughs> Just checking in. <laughs> a crepe in that is, if you, if you harvest one off of a wild animal and you're able and it's shot well enough, you can preserve it, rinse it in water, and then keep it in salt water and keep it refrigerated. And then all you have to do is wrap your little burgers and invite your friends over and crisp up the outside of that. And you are going to be a hero. I can't wait for that day. Yeah, you're already there. Toby, does this feel like... Like, does this feel like actionable to you? Do you feel like this is kind of giving you what you need? Because, you know, I want you to feel like you're starting out from the best possible place with this meat. This feels very good. I'm super excited about this journey and I can't wait to wow my friends with what I learned. It's going to take a while, but I think this is the direction I'd love to go. 
Okay. And listen, like while you have Eli here, any other questions, anything else that he can kind of guide you towards in terms of getting the most out of this meet? Yeah. So my other question is, I don't mind gamey. I think it's fine. I actually enjoy gamey flavor. But sometimes when I'm cooking for other people, they're not so excited about the gamey flavor. Are there any spice combinations or like vinegar milk or something to sort of take that gamey flavor out or should I just cook something else? <laughs> no, I think I think there's definitely ways around it. The majority of the gamey flavor, the more unique flavors, follows in the fat content of an animal. A good trick, and the Greeks use this a lot, we being a Greek, in older lamb, is that we will actually blanch the meat first, bring it to a simmer. That'll render off a lot of the fat before we start braising it or cooking it whatsoever. And then again, the spicier, heavier flavors definitely will mask a lot of flavors. I think back to my friend that shot a mountain goat and he is of my same sense that he just, he loves utilizing the whole animal, but it was really challenging for him. He didn't grow up eating lamb and old goats like I did. And, you know, he ended up making a lot of chili verde, the really spicy curry, so on and so forth. I'm sorry, just to back up Eli, that was a chili verde from an old goat. Yeah, no, so good. <laughs> <laughs> the, the notion of blanching meat, I mean, that initial kind of like flush of like pulling out the sort of impurities, the old blood, where like some of the, the funkier flavors reside, and then starting your braise. I mean, and it feels counterintuitive, right? That like you're going to bring this mixture up, you know, to a simmer and then effectively discard it. But so much of like the work of extracting flavor from that meat happens over such a long period of time that the stuff that you're getting in that initial pull is just less desirable. And and, and I think, you know, uh, that's a great point, Eli, like just something as simple as that, Toby, could be your, your friend here. Yeah, for sure. If you don't like that flavor, you and I, Toby, sound like we're in the same camp. We love those nuances. I wouldn't do that because I love the flavor. But if I'm trying to you know, cook for somebody that's on the fence, you know that's getting a blanche first. We sent Toby a copy of Eli's cookbook, Olympia Provisions, and she and her partner got down to the business of sausage making. After another break, we'll find out how the moose sausage tasted. From the creators of Who Smarted, Starglow Media comes a brand new podcast called Mysteries About True Histories. Uh, does that sound serious enough? Uh, Max, we only have 30 seconds for this promo. Just tell them how your mysterious aunt recruited us into a secret order of problem solvers who travel time and have epic adventures. I don't have to. You just did. Catch new episodes of Mysteries About True Histories every Thursday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Dinner SOS. For those keeping score, when we last talked to Toby, she had around 80 pounds of moose meat left in her freezer. So I had to know, where's the moose meter at now? Well, I would say we're at around 30 pounds, but the way moose meat works in Alaska and all game meat and fish is if you have it and you have a lot of it, you give it to friends who need it. So we've uh, definitely given a whole lot away and traded some for a hell of it and that sort of thing. Now, as you might have guessed, the Alaskan interior is a bit remote. So it caused a couple of issues for Toby 
and her partner as they tried to make their sausage. And she left us a voice memo all about it. Take a listen. After some typical problems of the Alaska interior, we are embarking upon a sausage-making adventure. Yesterday, we got it all set up and had to make an unexpected run to town, which where we live takes all day. While we were out, we checked the mail for Eli's cookbook, but alas, more Alaska problems. So, an hour later, we are ready to start making sausage. We are using a Bon Appetit recipe for a spicy Italian sausage, substituting moose and beef fat for pork shoulder. So talk to me about how the the sausage making process went. Did you feel like you were able to incorporate any of the, you know, advice that Eli was able to kind of walk us through in terms of best practices with grinding meat, et cetera? Absolutely. So for one thing, we definitely kept all of the equipment cold, which was easy because it was 10 below outside. (laughs) And then it was really nice to know that the meat should be about 30 degrees because I got excited and I tried grinding it when it was a little too cold and the grinder didn't like it. And then when we got it to exactly 30 degrees, everything was wonderful and it bound really well and just made a perfect product. And then also definitely with like the information about the salt to meat weight ratio. And then also like we used 30% fat, which I think when I had done the caribou sausage in the past, I had not used enough fat. And I have a lot of questions about that too, but. What are are some of your questions? This is a great time. Let us in. (laughs) Great. So Kyle was wondering, the recipe said to season it after it was ground. And Kyle said, but I do it before we even make the meat cold. So when is the appropriate time to season the meat? Mm, That's a loaded question. A lot of people don't like to season the meat before it goes into the grinder for the fact that it could really dull your blades. And so if you put in like the big black pepper salt before it has time to get into the meat, it will really run your blades duller quicker. However, one school of thought is that it marinades to the meat a little bit better and it brings the temperature down. Salt will actually bring temperature down and bring a little of the moisture out of it and also help. Here, we always do it after. But yeah, you know, I'm not saying you can't make a perfect product by adding it before you grind. And if you don't have a good mixing step, it might actually be an advantage. It is going to get a better mix of the ingredient. Your salt and your spices will get naturally mixed running through the blades. So you just got to choose your poison on that way. (laughs) That makes sense. And Toby, it sounded like you saw an instant difference in terms of the binding action of like doing the 30% fat. I'm assuming you used pork fat, the back fat, if I'm not mistaken that Eli had called out? Well, we tried to use pork fat. We went to Fairbanks, which is a long drive, and got some really nice fresh pork fat from the butcher. And then we had a little emergency and the pork fat came up to 53 degrees. So we ran to the local gun and liquor store, which also sells (laughs) pretty quality meat. And they happened to have some really nice beef fat. They didn't have any pork fat. So we had to go with the beef fat. I think it probably would have tasted better with the pork, but it it came out fine. What is the main difference between beef fat and pork fat? Obviously, flavor notwithstanding. Like, how are they going to function differently in sausage making? Mm -hmm. Yeah, flavor is huge, though. You don't want to overlook that. Beef flavor has such a different, it's way more distinct. Pork fat can kind of get away with kind of being a very neutral butter. 
So if you're adding pork fat to wild meat, you're going to notice the nuances of the elk and the caribou and the deer more. If you add beef fat to it, it kind of leans in the way like a hamburger does or a steak, mm. and it kind of covers there. And the, the, another one of the big ones is there's a big difference when you're talking about beef fat in the teeter and the actual melting point of the fat. If you eat cold fat, we all kind of know that hasn't melted, it coats your tongue. You may have noticed mm. that when you eat beef salamis. That's why we like to drink a lot of tannic wines when you're eating steaks. It's mm-hmm. good you're getting that high beef fat that's coated all over your mouth and you're using the bitter and the acid to get off of your tongue. So those are the two biggest things, flavor and melting point. Um, did, Toby, I was just presuming that the sausage was not put into a casing, but is that accurate? I feel like I just made that assumption. That's accurate. We had casings and it was hard to rein ourselves in, but that was Eli's suggestion was just to try and master like the bind and not get too too involved mm-hmm. to make it easier and make us want to do it some more. So, but I was wondering, so we felt like it was fairly greasy sausage when we fried it up and we were wondering if like we had done 30%, would that be better in casings? And maybe should we reduce that if we're not using casings or does that matter? Is it because it's beef that it was so greasy? It's probably a little more dominant. you you tasted more of that grease coming out because it was beefier flavor. It's more so of a moisture thing. If you put it in your mouth and when you bit into it, it was really moist. But if it's too greasy, definitely reduce the fat level. It's all your own preference. Now that you're getting the bind and you're getting the texture, now you get to start having a lot more fun, more black pepper, more fresh garlic, a little less fat. You got that salt ratio staying consistent. That's where you're at. It's going to taste pretty similar in casing, if not a little bit more rich, because it's actually going to stay inside of that casing when you cook it. Okay. Are you ready for another question? Mm -hmm. I know that the salt to meat Weight ratio is a big deal, but mostly I also want to know what the best kind of salt to use is. So the salt ratio is, we know that uh, 2.5% salt is the right amount to make things taste salty when they're hot. That's just so it's seasoned well. Now for the salt that I like to use, I like to use fine grain natural sea salt. If you start using the kosher and the bigger grains, it'll take longer to dilute and it'll get into pockets in the sausage and it might not evenly melt. I like the ones that dissolve quickly and have all the minerals and wonderful flavor. More personal preference, but I tend to do that. Well, listen, I mean, Toby, you know, obviously like all of this knowledge exists like on all of these different levels, right? It's like you go from like the most foundational of like use like a fine grain sea salt already just establishes like a certain baseline of flavor. All the things that you can do to your meat before it goes into the grinder. There's the grinding process itself, obviously the the packaging, the storage. I mean, there's just so many different aspects, but sort of nailing some of those like fundamental things, you know, like targeting like a certain proportion of fat, I hope have already kind of like really paid off for you. And you feel like you're set up to really make the most of the meat that you're getting. Definitely. I feel a lot better set up. I feel like I have an understanding and that I can now play with things a little bit. Awesome. Is there anything that you're excited to try in the future? Is there anything your brain's been kind of noodling around that if given the time and opportunity, you'd want to do yourself? Definitely. There's two things. So longanisa sausage is our favorite sausage. So it'd be great if we could make it ourselves because it's not that easy to find around here. And uh, Mm -hmm. also, I've been looking through 
the Olympia Provisions Cookbook, and I found the the rabbit valentine, and we have oh, lots cool. of snowshoe hares around here, and they're delicious. And so we're probably going to do something with that. So I talked to the butcher in Fairbanks, and he said he could definitely get me some of that lacy fat to wrap it in. Oh my god, I'm pretty excited about that. That's amazing. A snowshoe rabbit valentine. Oh my God. I'm coming over. We'll pack (laughs) sausages. We'll pack wine. (laughs) Come on over. If you have a dinner emergency on your hands, write to us at dinnersos at bonappetit.com or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. We'd love to feature your question on the show. You can find some of the recipes mentioned on today's episode on the Epicurious app brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the App Store and download today. And also check out Eli's book, Olympia Provisions, for more of your game meat and sausage making needs. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to Dinner SOS. I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My co-host this week is Eli Cairo of Olympia Provisions. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Jordan Bell is our executive producer. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Cameron Foose is our assistant producer. Jake Loomis is our studio engineer. Amar Lal makes this episode. Next week, we're re-airing a favorite from last year. Maya is a confident, competent cook, but she's bored of her rotation and wants to expand her recipe riffing repertoire. How do I look at that recipe before I spend all the time and energy cooking it and make sure that if I spend all the time and energy cooking it, what I'll get out is a new framework that I can play around with? Yeah. I mean, this is... This is it. This is everything, you know. (laughs) I know. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. I think I need to move to this neighborhood. (laughs) It's like Eli's three favorite things. Yeah, liquor, meat. Just like if they sold like compound bows, you know, that would be like, (laughs) yeah, that would be it. Hi friends, I'm Cameron Rogers, mental health advocate, mom of two, content creator, and host of Conversations with Cam. This podcast is dedicated to having honest conversations, prioritizing your well-being, and reminding you that no matter what you're feeling, you are not alone. We'll discuss mental health maintenance, the ups and downs of motherhood, the trials and tribulations of life, and have a lot of fun along the way. Whether you're knee-deep in diapers or just trying to keep your sanity intact, this podcast is for you. Expect laughs, maybe a few tears, and hopefully some breakthroughs along the way. Make sure to subscribe and tune in for new episodes of Conversations with Cam every Wednesday morning.